Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the latest edition of Gorilla Gear, where we focus on the wonderful, exciting, occasionally eccentric and always entertaining world of county cricket. We'll have a quick roundup of the latest matches, and boy, there's been some exciting ones today. Uh, but then we're going to zoom in on two counties, the oldest of all first-class counties, Sussex-by-the-Sea, and the county that has that yawning gap in their trophy cabinet that everyone who follows them will be hoping finally gets filled this year. I'm, of course, talking about Somerset. I have two of the most expert of experts to help me. None other than Paul Grubby Howarth, a lifelong fan of Somerset. Hello, Grubby. Hello, and uh, it's a joy to be here. And I'm a little bit um, shaken but not stirred after this afternoon. When I should have been doing my homework for this podcast, unfortunately, was drawn into the drama uh, at Edgbaston. Dramatic it was. Dramatic it was. And representing Sussex, the man who bought cricket to Channel 4 
and uh, a lifelong friend and contributor to Gorilla Cricket, none other than David Brooke. Hello, David. Hi, Tony. How are you? I'm extremely well and delighted to have you with us. Their task will be to select an England team from the entire history of uh, both their counties that could take on today's Aussies. Now, I'm just going to start very quickly, um, David, with you. Just tell me a little bit uh, about your history with Sussex. Well, as you say, uh, they've always been my team, being uh, uh, Brighton born, uh, born and raised. And uh, I suppose my first hero would be John Snow and Tony Gregg, uh, that sort of era. And uh, I've had a brief flirtation with Surrey in recent years following a move to London. We all have. But uh, <laughs> that was sort of sorted out when I w- went to watch a Surrey-Sussex match. And there's no doubt who I wanted to win. You realised who your real, your, your, your true love was. Well, that's good. And um, Grubby, you're a man of Devon, I believe. Well, uh, I was born in Ipswich, um, accident of birth. And that, uh, that explains my football allegiance, as many of you know. Um, but at the age of two, I managed to persuade my parents to move uh, away from Ipswich to a different sheep-shagging part of the country in Devon. And I uh, grew up there from the age of two to the age of 19, and therefore uh, my first-class county has always been Somerset. And uh, as a youth, I do remember seeing at one and the same time um, both Garnet and Richards on the field all together. And that is uh, that's a sweet memory from my childhood. Well, I uh, enjoy visiting all county grounds as I follow my county, but I have to say uh, you two both have particularly... Uh, beautiful or idiosyncratic but nonetheless uh, wonderful (laughs) places to go and watch your cricket so well let's just have a very quick uh, look at uh, what's been going on today actually because we've had I think was it nine matches in four Um, one one of which uh, David finished yesterday and as your county Sussex took on my county Middlesex you ended up the victor so what do you think was the difference between the two teams there well I think for the start uh, Middlesex deciding to bat first that was strange wasn't it with a bowling attack the way that Middlesex has been so informed with Finn and Murtagh etc Roland Jones I was expecting them to insert Sussex because Sussex have had an absolutely desperate run in the county championship very fragile top order Mm -hmm. but instead Middlesex took first uh, bat bowled out for 75 and well you have to say that um, Ollie Robinson finishing with 14 wickets in the match. That's the first time that's happened, I think, in five decades. Uh, you'd have to say that um, Ollie Robinson was one of the difference between the two teams. A wonderful uh, rearguard action by Middlesex in their second innings, setting Sussex a very shaky 140-odd to win. And um, it, uh, it was left to Alex Carey, the uh, Aussie, who was signed up for the T20. But, mm. of course, uh, he knows what side is bread's butter. He's uh, <laughs> decided to play some county championship because... Uh, Justin Langer has been saying that's a very important criteria Absolutely. for future Australian players. So a finishing school for the Aussies, lest we didn't know it. And he uh, played a, well, a very, very important uh, innings, didn't he? Scoring at 24 off and over, just when it looks as though uh, Sussex were going to go and, uh, yeah, he did. and lose that. So, yeah, a welcome reversal for Sussex after a run of uh, very poor results. But that will do them a lot of good. Because obviously Sussex have been very successful in the T20 blast this mm. year but recently have really gone off the rails and in they, the uh, championship well they fell out uh, they fell out um, hove beautifully for uh, the T20 yeah a couple of other things that just quickly caught my eye there uh, apart from you've already mentioned Ollie Robinson and uh, which was just just extraordinary it was at 14 wickets um, Will Beer Will Beer made 77 I think and uh, just at the right time uh, Middlesex could have had the foot on the throat they let it off and you ended up with 300 plus in the first innings that was just too big a hill for Middlesex to climb 
Um, yes, Will Beers contributed some very useful runs oh, yeah. uh, down the order and also when he was put up as an emergency opener uh, following a um, disappointing uh, run of form from some of the young players. Haynes and Finch have had, I think, absolutely 116 runs each or something like that in the championship. So, um, yeah, Will Beers had to go up the order and, and done himself not, not bad. So, uh, coming in, I think it was eight, wasn't it, in the Middlesex match and scoring yeah. 77 was Absolutely superb effort. Yeah. And a couple of things just caught my eye during play. One was uh, Tim Murtra and his banana, which uh, a seagull swooped upon and uh, completely stole from him during the course of play, which was quite amusing. And then Tom Haynes, his appeal where he appealed so vociferously, he fell over backwards and did a somersault, which uh, had everybody falling about laughing. That's been this week's little meme, isn't it, on yeah. social media? Yes, <laughs> indeed. Very enjoyable. Yeah, indeed. That, very well, enjoyable. Grubby, um, yes. you've been on the edge of your seat today when oh. you've not been doing your homework for this, but you've been totally focused on an absolute nail-biter, well, haven't you? Well, t- so today and yesterday, really, because we had uh, the Kent-Essex game came to a very exciting conclusion yesterday. Um, and Kent, who were uh, really in control of that game, um, managed to get themselves bowled out for 70. Mm. Um, and uh, Essex, uh, after a bit of a, a wobble, chased the 150-odd they needed to squeak home in that game. Um, but with no bonus points because the, the first inning scores were so, were so low. Um, that meant that Somerset kind of had to beat Warwickshire. Um, last day of that game was today. Um, and it wasn't looking good for the first half of that game. Um, the first innings, Warwickshire scored 419. Um, and when Somerset were 202 for seven in their first dig, you're kind of thinking this is a long way back. But the last three wickets put on over 100, um, 308 all out. So still a significant first innings lead there of uh, 111. Uh, then rolled Warwickshire for 146 in their second innings, um, leaving 258. This week's number 258, because that's what England scored in both their innings. Indeed. The yes, they did. In the test match. I think it's the first time that's ever happened. Um, but chasing 258, it's not, um, it's, not, it's not a gimme by any means, is it? Um, but again, uh, the, the collective effort, this, by the Somerset uh, batsmen. Um, Steve Davis scored a century in the first innings, but then really in the second innings, it was down to the, the middle order and lower middle order. Uh, Don Bess, a bit of a batting hero in this game, not mm-hmm. out uh, in either innings, a total of 90 runs. Best for England, maybe at number four. Who knows, but po- possibly not. But I think, um, anyway, got over the line uh, for the loss of five wickets, which looks comfortable, but really wasn't. Um, and really keeping the pressure on Essex at the top. Just two points behind now. Uh, three games left. Yorkshire at home, Hampshire away, and then Essex at home to round things off. It could be a winner-takes-all clash, um, and wouldn't that be great for the county The one thing you don't want is to be sitting in a pavilion while two other sides decide what's going to happen. Well, and that's <laughs> happened to Somerset in recent uh, years. Well, hasn't it, just Giving me the chance to rock out my much-used headline, Somerset Mourn, which has <laughs> happened on more than one occasion. But I think just to... to, to uh, give you what I think is Somerset's season in a nutshell, really, a microcosm of their season or a, uh, an indication of how it's gone, is that no batsman um, has averaged over 40 for Somerset in this year's county championship. Mm. Um, in fact, no one has averaged over 37, if you want to be more specific. Tom Banton heads those averages. He batted pretty well today. Uh, and Don Bess is up there as well after his latest heroics. But no one averaging over 37 with the bat. Um, and yet uh, three bowlers averaging under 20 uh, with the ball. Four, if you include um, Rolf van der Merwe, who, who t- took one for 12 in his only yep. championship game in this game. So I think that just indicates really where the, where the strength uh, lies for Somerset. It really is in, in the bowling, and, and the bowling's got the side out of trouble 
uh, on more than one occasion this year. And I think the batting will have to stiffen its re- collective resolve if Somerset are indeed to fill that yawning gap that you Three described. Three games left and two at home, I think you said. That is correct. Wow. Uh, yeah, Yorkshire and Essex at home and Hampshire away. Whoa. Um, Chesco is still holding his own in the championship. Tresco hasn't played a game for a couple of months now, and I don't think we are going to see him. Um, sadly, I'm sorry to say, Annie, I know it's, it's not what you <laughs> want to hear, but it's probably the truth uh, that um, we, we've seen him. Uh, the last of him was a player, I, I'm, I'm afraid to say. He, he averaged um, only 10 or just under 11. It's a great it's shame that he wasn't in that Somerset lineup because it was his throwdown that uh, concussed. Uh, Jason Roy. Oh, is that right? Did yes. not know that. Uh, yes, it was. Did yeah. not know that. But he was using uh, one of those dog dog yes. ball thrower things. Yeah, no, it was. Um, just before we move on, yeah. um, and um, there was one other figure that uh, caught my eye in that uh, Warwickshire game, although ultimately uh, on the losing side. Yeah. Uh, that was young uh, Rob Yates, mm. local local boy, uh, I think. He's yeah. played nine matches. Uh, he's averaged only 22, but he's got a 90 and a 47 and a 48 in those nine games. Mm. And in this one, he made 141. And then in the second innings, uh, he made 53 out of 146. Yeah. So I'm suspecting he's uh, one to watch. Absolutely. And, and the ones that we thought we were going to watch um, across the county games in, in this round, um, I'm thinking Zach Crawley and Dom Sibley. Sibley, obviously, at Warwickshire. Um, all of the, both, both of those chaps have had a, a terrible uh, terrible games in their respective uh, county championship games. Um, you think you're just on the cusp, perhaps, of, uh, of selection and promotion to that yep. the leaving, senior team. But leaving uh, the field clear for Ollie Pope, of course, who well, did indeed, he's scored a double century. Yes. Well, I was just about to come on to that game, actually. Um, Surrey and Hampshire at the Oval. Obviously, it, it did end up in a draw. Uh, Hampshire 367. Ricky Clark still going. Seven for 74 for Ricky Clark. Ooh. What a uh, warrior. A ton for Borthwick in 579 for seven, and of course 221 for Ollie Pope. Um, did he actually finish batting, or, 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 or was he hauled away to head up to Headingley um, before the end of his innings? It was a not out, I believe. It was, it was a not a, out. Was a not, yeah, but was it not <laughs> out? Because, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, the bus is about to go, Tom. Seats at the back for the naughty yeah. kids. Um, he has travelled now, uh, which is good because Indeed. the game's tomorrow. And Aaron Finch made uh, 90 batting, he I did. think, at six or seven, didn't That's he? That's right, yeah. Uh, Essex. Won uh, by uh, three wickets in that uh, where Kent. Uh, it was forty that Kent managed. I noticed Ollie Rayner, a man of both Middlesex, mm. of course, and forty. Sussex. Yes. in fact, still Middlesex, but um, previously Sussex and now playing for Kent. He was top scorer with nine. Yeah, so well played, Ollie. Uh, fine effort there. Um, real talking point there for me is as ever amongst the wickets. Four for forty-eight, two for sixteen in the second innings. Uh, Mohammed Amir. Yeah, his last game, isn't it? Last game in, of Red Bull cricket. Yes, indeed. Could be. Well, that could be good news for Somerset. So, uh, <laughs> it, well, uh, there, uh, with a Somerset hat on for this podcast, um, yes, I think that potentially could be. Uh, and you also, um, the wonderfully named, uh, certainly from a musical perspective, Sam Cook, right arm uh, fast, 22, born in Chelmsford. Um, he was amongst the wickets as well, wasn't he? Took. Uh, yeah, he got seven, didn't he, in, in seven the second innings? for 23 yeah. and five for 42. So... Um, yeah. That is first sad. Word, that's um, you know, fantastic in a, effort. In a week where we're reflecting on a wonderful spell of fast bowling mm. um, by Joffre Archer, to, to have a Mohammed Amir calling time on his Red Bull, as we have it to is call sad. it cricket, is, uh, is pretty sad, isn't it? It is pretty sad. And he's only, what is he, 27 years old or something? Yeah. Um, one understands the... I understand he had a few years away. He did have a few years away. He was away. <laughs> he's been away. He's been away. But now he he's was back. away. And now he's going away again. He's going away again for good. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yorkshire Knots. Yeah. Well, uh, Yorkshire ultimately uh, 
ruled not comfortably enough there by, I think, 143, didn't they? Um, despite the best efforts of uh, Luke Wood taking five for 67. Um, but, uh, yes, success for Yorkshire in that one. Derby and Gloucester just finished. That looked like it could go uh, either way, but uh, ultimately Gloucester won by eight wickets. Um, notable contributions there from Chris Dent making a left-hander back, making 169, and Ryan Higgins, uh, who... Uh, continues to impress wherever he goes uh, he made a, a ton uh, and uh, Gloucester got themselves home in the end by eight wickets in that one Durham and Leicester uh, ended up a draw although again that looked like it uh, it, it might go um, Durham's way they uh, didn't quite uh, have enough time to finish the job there uh, Glamorgan just fell horribly to Lancashire Dane Villas scoring 266 uh, and 86 for Keaton Jennings uh, Worcester and Northants not uh, was won there by Northants by 10 wickets. Uh, probably the main talking point there. Moen Alley, three for about 120-something, couple of 40s, but nothing that's really where he's putting his hand up going, no, he's I need his, to get myself back. He's bowling his medium paces as well, wasn't he? Indeed he was. Which I don't... Well... What was the idea behind that? I have no idea. I, there was a, a little clip of him, um, someone put on Twitter, bowling medium paces and getting swatted contemptuously to the boundary. And I thought, is that, is that a man who's just... Odd you know, trying to get your place back. Yeah. Mm. Kind of, it, uh, listen, I, I had no, no idea what the context of the game was. Maybe uh, there was some, but um, taken oh. out of context, it yeah. didn't look great. I thought he announced that he was going to take a bit of time off. Well, that ended up being missing two, two T20 games, <laughs> I think. And then he's, then he's back. Yeah, he may maybe have rushed that. The only other quick talking point I think was worth raising is whether the timing of this, having dived into nothing but T20, to then come back and play four-day cricket, do you think one or two teams, and maybe my, maybe my own amongst them, maybe Kent, were um, just finding the adjustment hard? Or was it lack of application? I think in Middlesex's case, I fear the latter. Well, it's possibly a bit of both, Tone. Mm. I, I mean, um, but it's not like no one knew that this was coming because all, all the counties will know what the schedule is from the, from the word go. And whether you agree with it or you don't, you know, you know what's on the horizon. Does that make it any easier to switch from one code in T20 to, to um, championship cricket? Uh, probably doesn't. Um, is it good for the supporters of the game? Possibly not. But um, I think either way, by hook or by crook, possibly by accident, we're in for uh, a real cracking finish, certainly to, to the first division of the county championship. Well, I think likewise in the, in yeah. the second division too. Mm. Um, it's still bunching up. Where Sussex are sixth and I think Middlesex seventh. And there, there really isn't that many points between us when I look at it. Mm. Um, and everyone, Lancashire are home and hosed. Those two places behind them, remember th remembering three will go up from division two, um, is still fairly open. Sussex will feel they're still in it, and frankly, Middlesex are so close on Sussex's tail, they'll still they're feeling it, f f still in it. But nobody can slip up. The other thing, of course, because we're, we're finishing the county championship around about the twentieth of September, somewhere around there, isn't it? So you, you do start to be a little bit a hostage to the weather potentially. Indeed. So you just hope that that doesn't play uh, too big a part in how it's going to unravel. Well, indeed. So now we're going to come on to uh, the meat and drink of uh, the discussion, and that is to think about the best ever teams that could be could be picked from both uh, Sussex and Somerset to take on today's Australians.
Yes, indeed, it's an enticing prospect when you look at, uh, well, the combined histories for both. Sussex, I know, uh, oldest county, 1839, I think they were founded, Sussex, David, am I right? Just before 7 o'clock, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> 20 to 7, yeah. Um, Just after opening time. Yes, indeed. So, um, as ever, the rules are as follows. Um, the players you select uh, must have played, for obviously, for your county and for England, ideally against Australia and ideally at the same time, i.e. playing for the county and when they played Australia. Um, they must have that X factor that you need to be able to defend to say why they would be able to remove Steve Smith or face Nathan Lyon or put those runs off reli reliably at the top of the order. Um, and, of course, you can have one or maybe two wild cards just to make it interesting, if you feel there's someone who just never quite made it to play for England or didn't play for England enough or played for England but not against Australia but really could do the job, then you have the right to pick them. So um, we're going to start by thinking about uh, openers. And uh, David, if I may, I'm going to come to you first. So from the pantheon of Sussex greats, who are you putting forward as your openers? Right, opening up uh, for Sussex against the current Australian team, Charles Burgess Fry. Um, after his terrific season in 1901 with 3,147 runs. Uh, with Charles Burgess Fry, you don't just get a, a batsman, you don't just get a, a, a personality. This would be great for shirt sales. He's actually <laughs> someone that played, plays football for England, so he's widely known there. He's, he also holds the, the world's, uh, world long jump record. Uh, he just turned down the, an offer of the throne of uh, Albania, and he's representing <laughs> India in, league, in, league, in the League of Nations. Not League of Their Own captain like Freddie Flintoff, but representing in India at the League of Nations. So you, got, you, get wow. some, you get value for money. And on the cricket field, uh, a record par excellence, a, a, a brilliant man who turned his hand to anything. And I think Franklin would make fairly short work of this uh, Australian opening attack. When yeah, you, the when county you championships for Sussex came later in their, in their history, didn't they? What was it 2003, 2006, 2007? Hoping to slide Mushy in a bit later on. Into, yeah. into <laughs> Is the, he going to be a wild yeah, card? <laughs> when, when you said he'd be good for shirt sales, David, I, I, I wondered if that's because he's got quite a short name. So it's not too much to embroider on the back, is it? CB Fry. CB Fry. Mm. Yeah. Is CB a small name player. Well, he's just so well known in so many fields. Yeah. So, well, that's it. And, and for England, it, was, he, did he, was, was he successful against Australia particularly, David? Um, well, he was successful against everyone. Okay. Um, right. Opening a batting with him, because yes. you need an opening partner. Oh, we do. Because he'd like to play both ends. Um, a man who, uh, unfortunately, has just fallen foul of your uh, criteria because he was widely known as one of the greatest first-class batsmen never to play for England. That's John Langridge. Oh. Um, passed 2,000 runs in the season 11 times. Played over a thousand, played over eleven hundred first-class matches. So I was hoping to get him in as an opening bat. If you want someone that's played against Australia, then I'll go for. I want God on our side. So I'm going for the Reverend David Shepherd. He wasn't a Reverend during his period as a cricketer. He later became Bishop of Liverpool. He did. Uh, again, not, again, also important for shirt sales. And um, Reverend David Shepherd, not great record against Australia to be honest. One century. And uh, ran out a couple of batsmen in a rather important Ashes <laughs> match. Um, and so was probably responsible for England losing a game. Um, but he would be emergency opener if you insist on those criteria. Well, well, we'll, we'll take a view on that at the end. You've already gained extra bonus points for sliding in the title of a Bob Dylan song with, uh, with God on our side. So, uh, <laughs> um, well done you. Um, Somerset. 
Tell me, who have you got, Grubby? The answer is blowing in the wind. Um, <laughs> now, uh, um, I've got a left-right combination up top. Um, one will not surprise you in the slightest. The second um, is a man who, if you know your Somerset, uh, probably won't surprise you too much, but is undoubtedly less well-known these days. So, uh, at number one, top of the order, none other, the saintly, the godly Marcus Treskothic, of course. Uh, over 26,000 first-class runs. Uh, a man who averaged more in Test match cricket than he did in his uh, overall first-class career, which I think speaks of a certain um, character. And yep. remember, he was picked uh, along with Michael Vaughan, famously picked on character by Duncan Fletcher when their when their first-class records weren't um, screaming. You must pick me, but they they saw something there, and he did not disappoint. He scored five thousand eight hundred twenty-five Test match runs in seventy-six games, averaged uh, just a shade under forty-four, fourteen hundreds in there. Um, got a, a test match double to his name. Uh, and we all remember, he didn't score a century in the famous 05 uh, series. But just the way he batted, the way he, uh, to use that terrible modern phrase, set the tone on yep. at least one occasion. I'm thinking particularly at Edgbaston, that famous morning where over 20 boundaries were hit. That first morning of the test match when Ricky Ponting saw fit to insert England. And between him and Andrew Strauss on that occasion... Um, just really laid the, laid the foundations for a monster, really, to 408 in a day. I remember some people thinking, oh, but if we batted a bit more cautiously, we wouldn't have lost all our wickets on day one. We scored over 400 in a test match day. And uh, that's really... Um, Is that your inner dialogue? Inner yeah, inner but, you know, uh, when you've got a microphone, it all, it all comes out and uh, other people have but to listen. So, Treskoffing, I, I don't think anyone could uh, make a case that no. he does not deserve his place in the all-time... And you know what? Not making a ton straight. at the end of the day, I agree with you about setting the tone. Paul Collingwood, I just think if you were a part of that team, I think people, in a way, just forget the statistics. The fact is, you were a part of that team, and that team was collectively a unit. You know, people point the finger at... I know the Australians did. Yeah. (laughs) Paul Collingwood. But (laughs) boy, was he an integral part of that team. So... um, Delighted with that selection. Not surprised. No, exactly. But but nonetheless delighted. Not surprised. um, Who's opening with him? Well, um... It's, going, it's a man um, who's a really interesting character. He played 19 years of first-class cricket. He was a, a right-handed bat, so good right-hand, com- right-left combination. Um, scored over 23,000 first-class runs, uh, 50 hundreds within that. Has a triple to his name, 310 is his highest score. Um, only played three times for England. Mm-hmm. Didn't let himself down or anyone else. Uh, averaged 32 and a bit. But here's the justification. Forget Jason Roy. If you want someone at the top of the order to take it to this Australian team, look no further than Harold Gimblet. Ah. In his first-class debut, on his first-class debut, he made 123 in 65 minutes. He once hit three sixes in an over while his batting partner was complaining about bad light. That's the sort of man <laughs> we're dealing with here. And he, if I can quote um, uh, one of the commentators of the day or, or at the end of his career, Mr. G. Morehouse, said he played the game vividly, sturdily, and above all, gallantly. And that's the sort of character, alongside Tresco, at the top of the order, that is going to take this Somerset all-time fantasy eleven to sweeping victory. Fantastic. Like Tresco, just a footnote, like Tresco, he suffered terrible mental health issues, um, mm. did Gimblet, and um, he quit mid-season in 1954, couldn't hack it anymore. Um, and, and very sadly, he committed suicide in 1978. Um, just a, a, an extra degree of poignancy there. But... Um, between them, these two, you know, both sturdy as oaks, can both uh, can both find the boundary um, and, and hit beyond the boundary, hit big, 
hit big, and we'll see more of that as we go further down the order in this Somerset eleven. But I think that is an attacking, sturdy, and vivid opening partnership. I like that a lot. Um, well, we're going to come on and we're going to have a look at um, a couple of the more specialist roles. Um, who are you going to pick? I'll stick with you, actually, Grubby, and okay. then come on to David. Who are you going to pick as your captain? Okay, well, my captain, who will be batting at number four in this lineup, okay, uh, is a man who sits 10th uh, on the all-time list number of first-class games with 786. Not quite as many as your man, David, who played 1,100. Was that... Um, John Langridge. John Langridge. Goodness me. Anyway, 786 game, first-class games he played, 10th on the all-time list, scored just under 35,000 runs, which puts him 40th on the all-time list. Uh, and a man who was basically, one word, nails. And it <laughs> is Brian Close. Oh, yeah. 37 years a first-class cricketer, uh, left-handed batsman, um, a bit of occasional dob or right-arm off-spin as well. He was a, a real proper... Uh, all-rounder, 22 tests for England. Um, he captained England um, seven times uh, with a record of six wins and one draw. And um, he is my captain. Oh, captain. My and captain. not afraid to wear one when he needed to. No. He'd just walk away and just not let anyone see that he'd been hurt or troubled, wouldn't he? Was his famous like, well, the ball's only on you for a second. How can it hurt? Yep. And uh, did he not also field at um, forward short leg? Yep. As, uh, for I have this recollection of him getting thumped more than one occasion there, to, uh, which is exactly what elicited that uh, yeah. quote. And the, w- and the one time he, he actually was felled by one, his teammates ran up and tried to, um, you know, t- tried to get him back into his feet and, and check he was okay. And he waved them away. He didn't want them <laughs> there at all. Get back to the positions, this soft bastard. So he's my captain. Yep. Uh, originally a man of Yorkshire, very much in my memory of watching cricket, a man of... Uh, of, of Somerset and uh, not at all a bad choice uh, so David you're going to have an all-star lineup, um, probably a few big personalities I suspect your bowling department might certainly have a troublesome uh, a, a highly um, successful but occasionally difficult to manage individual um, who's going to be the captain to keep him in order well exactly because you've got such a um, uh, eccentric idiosyncratic collection of individuals you need someone who's going to lead from the front uh, someone whose leadership will not be questioned and someone who would sign up all the players for the World Series at the same time. <laughs> uh, it's Tony Gregg. And I think he, you have to look beyond uh, the Packer uh, episode and look before that to the impact he had as a captain um, and uh, both at county level but also for England and uh, a, a player that offers you, well, his place in the team should be without question because he offers you three and one yep. in terms of batsmen, yep. two styles of bowling. Uh, Sussex not overburdened with spinners over the years, so he'll take on that role. Uh, but yeah, as a captain, um, I'm preferring him to another uh, England captain who is in the same lineup. You're gonna, we're gonna nice, hold nicely that. tantalised. I'm guessing. I think I know. Did he? Did did this individual also become a selector? He did. Yeah, okay, well, we'll let you come on to that a little bit later, but I think I know who you may have in mind. Before we move on, though, wouldn't it be brilliant to have a a kind of a a fantasy face-off between our two captains? That would be the clash of the titans, wouldn't it? Close versus Greggy. Two similar players in many ways, isn't it? You could both, you know, we're both genuine all-rounders. Well, Greggy never uh, said that the uh, Australians would grovel. No. He only made that mistake once. And to be uh, and it says a lot about the man's character and you talked a lot about character David mm. is to how he rode through that, uh, realized what he'd done, 
ate the humble pie and um, somehow made it a part of his persona for the for the sadly the rest of his shortened life which mm. is which is a great tragedy that He's no longer with us as a, as a commentator as well because he was quite a magnificent commentator. He was wonderful. So uh, many turns of phrase that uh, we enjoyed from, from him over the years. Hard and fast. Hard and fast. <laughs> and, um, yeah, well, I think, well, what a choice that would be if I could have to, at the end, pick the, the combined 11 from the two counties. I mean, he was I'll a great admirer. Food for thought there. Yeah, he was a great admirer of Brian Close, wasn't he? Because it was, I think yeah. it was Greg who picked David Steele. Plucked him, you know, d- yeah, wanted yeah. him in the team. He wanted people who would not give the wicket away yeah. and who were battle hardened. He certainly was not ageist in his selection. One of my policy. earliest memories no, of Ashes cricket was at the Oval watching the Chapel brothers score endless runs. I think 77, 78, if I've got my years right, maybe a bit earlier. I think it might have been earlier. Um, but Tony Gregg was the man who took the catch at uh, mid wicket <laughs> to um, dismiss one of them. I remember the ball coming towards me and just the excitement I felt as. Uh, Greggy pouched it, and he seemed just to—he he was a—he was Huge a giant man. in yeah. more ways than one, wasn't he? He was just such a tall chap. Yeah, he seemed to just dominate that whole mid-wicket area on his own. <laughs> he was quite quite a personality. Six foot seven and a half. Six foot seven and a half, wasn't he? Just don't forget the half. Don't forget the half. Well, we have our openers. We have uh, our captains. Um, let's take another specialist uh, position before we uh, move on to the rest of the batting order, and uh, I'm going to let you carry on this time, uh, David. You're going to need someone behind the stumps. Who's your gloveman? Well, I've got uh, two people in this team who uh, are very competent um, uh, gloveman, but I'm going to go for the most recent, who has the most, uh, has the best Test match record, and he's an Ashes winner. That's Matt Pryor. Mm. Uh, Matty Pryor, um, not the most popular uh, in terms of uh, you know necessarily win a popularity contest, but he wasn't. He's not there for that. Um, he was um, at Sussex. He was very well liked. And um, his record as uh, wicketkeeper batsman um, is very, very impressive. And uh, certainly, because uh, you look at the wicketkeepers Sussex have had over the years, Jim Parks, who, who may, may or may well make the team as a batsman, yeah. uh, if you actually look at the uh, test Jim match Parks, records, is this Jim Parks Jr.? Jim Parks Jr. Yeah. If you look at the record of uh, the two, Matt Pryor has the best test match record. A real competitor, um, a never-say-die attitude, and uh, someone who's um, sledging. Uh, he'll give as good as he gets. Dug England out of a few holes, didn't he, as well? Batting, well, yes. what, six or seven, didn't he? Yeah, so he has. He um, reinforces that lower middle order, without a doubt. Absolutely. And a couple of tons from his, na- his name that I can yes, remember uh, for England. Yes, One indeed. on debut? Did he score a ton on debut? He did. Yeah. Wow, OK. So, um, and who, uh, Jim Parks was your other option, was it, in that department? Yeah, that Jim Parks would have, uh, um, Jim Parks, of course, was turned into um, a keeper batsman much the same way as Alex Stewart was. He was a batsman. Mm who was uh, given the gloves in the 1960s. Uh, Court Parks, Bold Snow would have been one of the more regular mm-hmm. scoreboard yeah. entries at the time. And, uh, yeah, Jim Parks would, uh, would be worth his place as a batsman in this lineup. Uh, OK, well, you may come on and, uh, and uh, yet prove that point. Uh, what about Somerset? Grubby, who have you got? I'm going for uh, a recent player, in fact, a current player, um, Stephen Davis. Ah. Now... Before you say, well, you've got no chance of getting him in the, the combined side because he understudied Matt Pryor, um, probably most famously on the 2010-11 Ashes Tour. But let me just um, urge you to pause for a second. I am a purist when it comes to <laughs> wicket keepers, And I want in my side the tidiest, neatest, most talented gloveman behind the sticks. 
And I think Stephen Davis is of that mould. It just so happens that he is an incredibly talented batsman as well. Whereas, as I think you said there, David, um, Pryor was very much a batsman first uh, and, a, and a keeper second. That was Jim Parks, actually. But yeah. Well, oh, damn. Is that this is what politicians do, isn't it? I think no, what you said is this. No, I didn't. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, I think Pryor, I, I take your point, yeah. but Matt Pryor's keeping, could you really fault it? I think it improved over his career, but I think when he first got into the, he was picked primarily yes. as a yes. batsman who could keep yes. rather than the other way around. I would um, suggest humbly that Stephen Davis, um, his, his talents lie, lie the other way around. However, um, his, uh, his record with the bat is, uh, is you know, an enviable one. He averages just under 39 in first-class cricket, um, 2,300s to his name. He scored a double. Um, just got just under three thirteen thousand uh, first class runs. He has represented England at one day international level. Never played a Test match, which is a bit of a travesty in my book. Um, but um, I think Stephen Davis, uh, gloveman extraordinaire, would be the man to take uh, the big gloves in this Somerset team. Uh, uh, both uh, excellent choices. I recall I picked uh, J T Murray. I rather feel perhaps Stephen Davis is closer as a kindred spirit to J.T. Murray, stylist. Mm, I, love uh, a, I love a stylist. I don't recall Matt Pryor being a stylist, and yet somehow I felt J.T. Murray and, and, and Stephen Davis probably just wins in the style department. Not the ball melting into the gloves. But we will, we, will, we will think about it. Now, we're going to have, uh, uh, against the current Australians, they've got a, a pretty effective spinner, although interestingly enough, not in the last test quite so much, uh, but certainly in the first test they've got... Um, any number, it seems, of, of uh, opening bowlers that can make the ball swing and talk a bit. Um, we've got two great openers, but if they fail, who have we got coming in a little bit down the order? Or, if they build a great platform, who's going to come in and move the scoring along? Because you've got to make your runs in time. Um, I'll start with you, Grubby. Okay. Who, who have you got a bit down the order, then, in, in your batting department? Well, do you want me to start with number three? Please do. Yeah, okay. So, um, uh, to, re- to remind you, we have Trescothic and Gimlet, both very clean hitters of the ball, big hitters of the ball when they want to be. What is the one thing that the England middle order is lacking? Well, you could say several things, but certainly solidity. Now, <laughs> the man that I've selected at number three in this Somerset team is solidity personified. He also got right up Australian noses in 1981, batting for days. Often, He was often forced to open for England. Um, but here he gets his preferred number three spot, and we, this is to grind him down. The old batsman blog, I'm going to give them a little name check, the old batsman blog um, described him thusly. If John Le Mesurier had played test cricket, he would have batted <laughs> it, he would have played it like Chris Tavare, and that is the man yeah. I've got at number three. Just to give you a few little stats here, um, he once scored a five and a half hour 50 versus Pakistan in 1982, the second slowest in the game's history. Then he said, hold my beer, and he scored 35 versus India that winter in six and a half hours, more than a whole day's play. This is the man to add a degree of permanence to the middle order that is sadly lacking in the current England setup. Would he be the Somerset answer to Brigadier Block if we, if we're, if we need a draw? Absolutely, and, and you know, the, there'll be certain situations in a series where the backs are against the wall, you, who do you need? You need in the trenches next, you need someone like Tav. And just to give you one other little example, um, from, from my memory as a child, I think he had 60-odd when Botham strode to the crease in 1981 at Old Trafford. Um, Botham famously went on to get 118, which he says is his best innings, far better than the 149 slogfest at Headingley. Um, but, and Botham got to his century before Tavaray got out for 78. Uh, I think they put on about 149 together, of which Botham obviously got the 118. Um, uh, but Tavaray outscored Botham in that whole game. 
Um, he scored um, 147, I think, in the whole game. He batted 482 balls and 710 minutes in that game alone. Wow. That is the man for me. 25,000 first-class runs, 48 centuries, uh, 31... Um, 31 games for, for England, average 32 and a half, but he's in here for his stickability, his bloody mindedness, and his ability just by his mere presence to get up the opposition's nose. Interesting enough, when I looked at my team, I had Clive Radley, who's uh, not dissimilar in some ways. Um, David, so if it's uh, first drop, if uh, one of your two, as great as they were, didn't quite make it that day, Who's going to come in and uh, stabilise the innings for you? Well, I've gone for a player who would bring people out of the bar rather than sending them into the <laughs> bar. And uh, that's uh, Lord Ted, oh. uh, Mr. E.R. Dexter. Tremendous record against Australia. Um, he made uh, 481 runs on the tour in 62-63. This remains a record. Most runs by an England captain in Australia. Um, oh. A real crowd puller. Um, it was said by Tom Goodman writing about him at the time on that tour. After his thunderous Melbourne display, Dexter was a magnet. The first thing people wanted to know about a team selection was, is Dexter playing? Batting against South Australia in that tour, he lifted the ball onto the high roof of the members' stand. A hit that's probably never been beaten. Some of his drives along the ground just could not be stopped, even when they went straight to a fielder. So uh, a man who's... Uh, uh, as a batsman is peerless hasn't got the captaincy he's going to have to lump that one um, but uh, as a number three um, with his record test match record um, of uh, which is of some distinction I'll try and find my uh, notes as we speak uh, he's got to be uh, a, a pick his test match record 62 tests 4,500 runs an average of 47 and uh, he uh, was a high score of uh, 205 Ted Dexter at number three um he also acquired a name that is uh, befitting of his general stance and demeanour at the crease, didn't he? Lord Ted. Uh, I, I have a rule with uh, well, both cricketers and footballers, actually. If my dad used to talk about them all the time, they must have been good. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad, who was not a man of Sussex by any manner of means, but he was a big fan of Lord Ted. Yeah. Um, well, so that's your number three. One of the all-time greats, David. Well, no my only recollection of him, I, was, I missed his peak. But we came back, made a sort of belated return to county cricket and got a yeah. double century on his return. Yeah, we wore those martlets with pride, didn't he, as well? Um, Grubby, yes. take us through the rest of your uh, batting order, excluding perhaps your all-rounder, because I want you to focus on the, your, both of you to focus on your choice of all-rounders a little bit. But take us through okay. the rest of the batsmen. Well, I've actually got a couple of all-rounders in there, which I'll, I shall have to um, talk to you about when the time comes. So, uh, Trescothic, Gimlet, Tavaray... Captain Close comes in at number four. And then I agonised about this for a long time. It might surprise you to learn. Um, but in the end, it won't surprise you to learn that I did plump for um, lovely Joss Butler at number five. Ah. Now, um, it's his, I think this is a team and, uh, that I've picked here. It's a team that's got gears. Okay, we can, we can go slow, slow, quick, quick, slow. Or more likely, quick, 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 slow, quick. Um, <laughs> And I think uh, with the, the additional ballast provided by uh, Tavray and Close coming in ahead of him, I think that will just free Joss up a little bit to come in and do what he does best, which is, uh, I'm going to say smash it everywhere, but, you know, in, the, in that controlled, green-eyed assassin way that he has, uh, the freedom to play those beautiful shots in the V and then 
you know, just just as the opposition look like they're about to fall over, then he can start to ramp it and flick it onto the stands and all sorts of other things. Um, I don't need people to point out his first-class record or his record in tests. And he's only got one century in 33 tests. Um, I want you to focus on the style of the player and what he can do in this team. Grubby, did you want someone to point out that he's only scored one um, first-class oh, century? N- he's not only scored one first-class century. He's scored one test match century. One test match. Yeah, did you yeah. want someone to point that he's out? He's got five first-class centuries. Did you want someone to point that out? Well, if, I did, if I didn't, I went about it the wrong way. I'm, I must read more on neurolinguistic programming. Anyway, Joss Butler, number five. Thank you. Uh, and you went for Stephen Davis with him uh, as the, for the Gloveman Stephen over Joss. Well, yes, that, that was another option. Uh, but again, this team, as, as well as having gears, uh, has, um, has variety and it, it's, it, it's able to um, present itself in different ways. So you could, if you wanted to, um, bat Stephen Davis, arguably um, a more successful um, first-class batsman. You could bat him at five. The all-rounder, as yet unnamed, at six. And Butler with the gloves at seven. Um, and I would allow Brian Close and the management staff to... Uh, to, to make those choices on the hoof, depending on the requirements and the stage of the game. OK, so uh, you have uh, Tavari at three. Joss Butler, who else is in your batting line-up there? You still with me? Yep, I'll stick with you. Well, number we'll six is, is, is the, probably the least surprising choice in this whole team. It's, of course, IT Botham. First-class career spanning... Is this your, also your all-rounder? Oh, yes, he's certainly my all-rounder. Yeah, but I have another one at eight, but uh, that, that'll oh, come later. OK. Um, Listen, I could go through all his statistics and everything. Um, the 81 series, uh, he came back in the 86-87 series, um, the, the last time that we won in Australia before 2010-11. Um, and even though he was putting on a bit of timber at that point, the Aussies looked at him and went, ah, oh, not him again. Not him again. And, um, and sure enough, he scored 130 on, I think, in Brisbane, was it? Um, and helped helped him to that famous victory. He uh, he basically um, saved his best performances for Australia, and uh, is is one of the all time great all rounders. Probably one of the all time great players. And it's not just his statistics that tell you that. It's when he did it, the moments in games when he did it, and uh, the games that he won sometimes single handedly um, for England. And uh, rather sad the way he ultimately departed uh, Somerset. But yeah, nonetheless, you you associate him with that. Well, he's chairman of Durham now, of course. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think you're. I, th- I think you you might be uh, seeking an interview with him at some point. <laughs> Indeed, which would be nice. Um, but yeah, uh, the way he left Somerset was unfortunate. Um, he felt aggrieved that his good mates Joel Garner and Viv Richards weren't being treated as well as he thought they should be. Um, he he basically gave an ultimatum to the board, which they uh, called his bluff on, and so both of them left. Um, he went to Worcestershire and then spent uh, some of his later career at Durham as well. But um, yeah, and, and you know, so one last hurrah wasn't there with England in '92 in the World Cup, where I think by his own admission he was just waddling in and um, and hurling it down. But he still managed to take quite a lot of wicket, a lot of wickets even then, just through sheer force of personality. Perfect. Whether you like that personality or not, or he earns his place most definitely in my level. I would best put it this way: I might have been very surprised if he wasn't in. Um, David, let me come to you. Uh, you've got Lord Ted at number three. Uh, you've got your CB Fry and uh, John Langridge. You've got Tony Gregg in there as captain. You've got Matt Grant Pryor as your wicketkeeper. What about the rest of your batting lineup? Okay, uh, slotting in at number four, Kumar, not Sangakara, but Ranjit Singhji. 
Um, Ranji, who was um, an Indian prince who played for uh, Sussex in England with great distinction um, uh, in the period, what, 1904? Um, uh, played for Sussex between 1895 and 1920. Uh, his last test match was in 1902 against Australia. Um, and his debuted against Australia, and he got 154 on debut. Um, Revolutionised batting. I mean, that's why he's in uh, for the historians. Uh, before that, most batsmen played off the front foot. He was one of the first to benefit from the fact that pitches were better and played some wonderful shots off the back foot. Well, unorthodox technique. Um, meant, some would say he also invented the leg glance. Um, and, um, yeah, he had a nephew, Dulip Sinji, who's very close to making this team. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, Ranji um, met, slots in at number four um, in this lineup. And of course, away from cricket, he became a, a Maharaja. So he's, he's going to help the fundraising effort a lot. <laughs> and um, would have the adaptability for facing today's Aussies? For sure, yes. He, would, um, he, 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 had the, he was the original thinker when it came to batting, and I'm sure he would adapt his game. I'm confident that he would adapt his game uh, to the modern era. And who and else do you have then in your well, batting He just squeezed department? out Paul Parker, ah. um, who uh, had that one test match. He did? Uh, which was uh, you know, one of the one test wonders in the 1970s. Paul, Paul Parker, I'm going to find a way of getting him on as a substitute fielder. He's going to replace uh, one, of, one of our fast bowlers who doesn't like fielding that much. <laughs> so uh, Paul Parker's in the squad as a 12th. Man. Okay. You're allowed um, the 12th man. In the event of concussion, he's a good like-for-like replacement for Ranjit Sinji. Okay. Um, and he'll offer a lot in the field. Uh, he used to walk in so fast in the, uh, in the outfield. He'd be there. He would walk so far. You know, that amount of energy expended just walking back and then walking in with the bowler. And so they were almost sprinting by the time the uh, bowler delivered the ball. He was a cover fielder who could pounce on anything. And, uh, he's in the Derek Randall the class down. of... Uh, Absolutely. Animated fielder. Yeah, only one test match, though. So uh, that's why, unfortunately, he's had to uh, just miss out. Life's about uh, choices. And you've gone for Kumar. And and obviously, Tony Gregg would occupy the number five, his preferred position at number five. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, uh, Matt Pryor at seven, leaving a slot for Jim Parks Jr. Now, Jim Parks is one of two uh, Parks, uh, uh, father of uh, of uh, the Parks that played Bobby Parks, who played for Hampshire. Yep. Uh, Jim Parks, um, I think we mentioned, uh, uh, excellent batsman, um, uh, prolific at county level, and uh, squeezes into this uh, middle order. He played more for England than his dad, who was also a man of Sussex, of course, wasn't he? Indeed. Jim Parks Senior. Indeed. Um, you know, the other other players who've just missed out: Alan Wells, another one Test wonder. Yeah. Uh, didn't do him well. He didn't have the opportunity to do himself justice um, at uh, international level. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of, uh, of good middle order, a uh, uh, lot of competition for places in that middle order. Well, while I've got you on the hook, uh, Grizzly Adam, Chris Adam, sorry, must yeah. be honourable mention, <laughs> lovely Chris Grizzly, Adams, yeah. because at county level, what a fantastic contribution Chris Adams made to Sussex as a captain and middle order batsman. Again, we didn't see the best of him at England level, so he doesn't quite get in to this team to play against Australia. But you talk about long time to wait for the county championships. He captained Sussex to three county championships at the turn of this century, and uh, he, des- you know, he des- really, really deserves a place in the middle order. But against Australia, it just he's just been edged out. Am I right? He went on to play for Hampshire. Did I get that right, or did I make that up? 
you made it up. I made it up. Yeah. And um, was he a coach as well? Well, right? he uh, went on his to coaching, coaching career, of course. Um, he coached Surrey uh-huh. uh, and was responsible for signing a lot of the players who have uh, then went on to succeed, un, you know, under Alex Stewart. So he was, I think, quite unfairly um, um, criticised as a, a, as a coach at Surrey, uh, but he actually did spot a lot of the players and picked a lot of the players. Uh, he then was offered the position of director of cricket for Yorkshire and at the last minute turned it down. Did um, he? And uh, after it had been in the press and everything. So um, he is. Is that before the Gillespie went to Yorkshire? Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah right. quite a bit before. Um, mm, sliding and, and, doors um, of cricket history. One of the best coaches that Sussex has never had, you know, because he's always been ah. touted by, you know, it's, it's the person that many. Um, I think members and supporters of Sussex would like to see as coach, but of course now uh, Jason Gillespie um, is, does, does a, a very fine job. Well, um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be fascinated in a, in a couple of moments to hear what uh, Grubby has to say about the spin department, uh, knowing how famous uh, uh, Somerset is. But David, I'm going to let you have first crack for Sussex. Um, you talked about a lack of, of spinners, and you, you said you're going to have you're going to stick with Tony Gregg filling the off-spin role in his off-spinning mode, are you? So your main spinner in the side is going to be Tony Gregg. Yeah, because um, yeah, we've gone for, uh, we've asked the groundsman to prepare a uh, seeming wicket, a uh, quick wicket, for reasons that will shortly be obvious. I, I think uh, so I suspect, I know have, why already, yeah, but um, I can't wait to hear it. Uh, so we're not going to have um, a specialist spinner. Okay. If, we, if conditions changed and in the squad would be Monty Panisar, better known for his stint with North Ants, um, and of course went on to Sussex uh, after Northants um, and um, left under unusual circumstances yes. which we won't uh, talk about here um, unless you want, want me to no no no, 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 no absolutely right. fine. Uh, but fine. I, I'd like to t- focus on the fact that uh, as a you know so left arm bowler he is one of the finest that that uh, England have, has produced in recent years um, and um only because I think his spell uh, for England didn't coincide with his Sussex period, uh, so therefore I, I didn't include him in the final. But you level. are allowed to pick the very best of him. Okay. At so his very best, he's definitely he was in the terrific. squad. He's definitely in, in the, the squad. squad. Now, now they don't call it Hyderabad for nothing. <laughs> Who have you got turning uh, their arms uh, in your spin well, department, Grubby? Um, a man called Jack, who's a spinner for Somerset, <laughs> not Jack Leach. Oh. We're going back uh, to, the, to the days before, I suspect they called it <laughs> Siderabad. Um, but a man who played first-class cricket from 1909 to 1937. He took, in his first-class career, 2,355 wickets at an average of 18 and a half. He took 10 wickets in a match 58 times, a staggering number. Um, and, uh, and five wickets in an innings 193 times, including... Um, taking all 10 once, 10 for 76 he, he were his best uh, figures in first class he played 15 tests for England mm-hmm. and let me just read you some of his um, let me just read you some of his uh, performances, uh, he was vice captain in that England side when England went, uh, went down under in 28-29 and won the series 4-1 he bowled a hun- just a, under 114 overs at Melbourne and then at Adelaide he had match figures of 124.5 overs, 37 maidens, 13 for 256 in England's 12 run victory wow. that is heroic stuff you want uh, and he's a left arm spinner as well turning it away from Steve Smith um, you want a, a specialist spinner in this side Jack White is your man a fine musician as well of course and not a bad musician <laughs> in later life <laughs> yes. Jack White 
So you've considered and uh, ultimately rejected Messrs. Leach, Bess, Marks. I, I, I'm a massive fan of Jack Leach, um, and I think he's he's got a lot to. And he's rightfully in that England lineup now, which he should have been at the start of the summer. Um, and I expect um, good things from him, hopefully over the next five years for England. Um, it's probably just a bit early uh, in his career for me to consider him, particularly when you look at the figures of Jack White and the performances of Jack, of Jack White back then. Um, but who knows? You know, with, with time and a following wind and some decent pitches to bowl on, then maybe Leach will get there. But right now, it's Jack White in that side. Well, whilst you're on a roll with your bowling, I'm mm-hmm. going to let you carry on okay. and uh, take us through your seamers. Well, I want... Actually, I was just thinking about my team. This is actually the third all-rounder in my team because we've got Brian Close batting at four. We've got Ian Botham batting at six. And at number eight, we have uh, a man who was primarily a bowler, but he's probably best known um, for his big-hitting feats. It is none other than Arthur Wellard. Mm. Played from 1927 to 1950. He was a right-arm, fast-medium bowler, um, and he used to hit the ball miles. So much as he's in the side as a bowler, primarily, I just want to outline some of his incredible feats. He hit over 500 sixes in his career, um, and and that accounted for a quarter of his runs, would you believe? He hit 72 sixes in the 1935 season. That was a record until none other than Ian Botham hit 80 in 1985. He hit 50-plus sixes four times. This is a a period when no one was doing this. He once hit five sixes off a Frank Woolley over. Now, I know Frank Woolley was in uh, Hendo's Kent team. Indeed. uh, And was a a very, you know, uh, fantastic player for England back then. Five sixes off a Frank Woolley over in 1938. That was a record until Sobers did his thing in 1968. So this is a measure of the man. Um, He also, he went on these streaks uh, with with the ball. So he he got five for... Fifers in, in four out of five innings at the start of 1929. Um, he only um, played a couple of test matches for England, but he would have gone on the 1939-40 tour to India, but of course that was cancelled because of the war. So I think um, Arthur, and he terrified the Australians. You add all that together, he absolutely terrified them. Josh Hazelwood coming in and bowling his dibble doubles and disappearing <laughs> over the pavilion. See you later. <laughs> Wellard in the team. So he got Wellard, and of course he famously had uh, the Eastenders' dog named after him. Correct. So that was a, Correct. Fine, a fine effort on his part. Yeah, uh, who, who else concludes your, your 11? So he's at eight, Jack White's at nine. Um, we've got the FA Cup himself, the Hadley-alike uh-huh. Andrew, Andrew Caddick uh, coming in at ten. Um, a fantastic first-class record, 1,180 wickets, an average of 26.5. Um, 62 test matches for England, 234 wickets. Had a great partnership with Darren Goff, and the two of them used to sort of trade off each other. I think in this side, the, you know, the big personalities... He was a very quiet lad, quite a sensitive lad, Andrew Caddick, probably still is. Um, I think when you've got people like Wellard and, and Botham around you, they're going to G you up. You'd need close... Now, I don't know whether Close would do the, the Hussein thing of putting his arm around Caddy and saying, you're special, mate, or, or would try and give him a kick <laughs> up the arse. I suspect if he tried to do the latter, um, yeah. he might not get the best out of him. But well, let's give Closey some, uh, some credit as a captain. Let's has his own pavilion, too, at Somerset, but then most people do. As you say, anyone who's walked across the <laughs> turf there gets their own pavilion these days. But Andy Caddick comes in at, at number 10 with that enviable record. Um, who can forget the over where he got four wickets in and over against um, the West Indies back oh, in 2000? Yeah. That was incredible. Um, and then to, to round off, uh, another left-arm seamer, so much variety within my attack, uh, it is Fred Rumsey, one of the fastest ah. bowlers ever to play for Somerset. Also a man, incidentally, who founded the PCA uh, back in 1967. Um, he did play against Australia, made his debut against them uh, at Old Trafford in 1964, uh, a game in which Australia declared on 656 for eight and when Bob Simpson scored his 311. Um, but, you know, in that context, two for 99 was not too bad a return. 
Um, as I say, one of the fastest bowlers. I did consider, um, we'll come on to who we've left out, but at least one guy can consider himself a bit unlucky. But you look at his first-class record, 580 wickets, an average of just over 20. Um, I think that, that speaks volumes. And, uh, yeah, much-needed variety. Left-arm seamer, we've got a couple of right-arm seamers in there. We've got left-arm spin. Got all bases covered. So you've got Wellard, Caddick and Rumsey as the main uh, brunt of your seam attack. Yeah. Jack White as... Uh, oh, and, and one IT Botham, of course. Oh, and of course you've got IT Botham in as your all-rounder. That's a formidable team. Isn't it just? However, David Brooke. I, I look at uh, name spring to my mind quite readily when I think of uh, Sussex Pace, and not just based on recency. Um, so there's a couple of names I might be surprised if I don't hear, but uh, talk us through who you've got. Well, the, 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 the name that, uh, the first name, uh, uh, taking the first over uh, from the CN, John Snow. Uh, John Augustine Snow, one of the most fiery uh, fast bowlers England has seen. He came between what uh, Fred Truman and Bob Willis, that period in the 60s and 70s, where he led the attack and famously uh, destroyed the Aussie, Aussies on many occasions, was involved in lots of controversy, uh, had the ability to turn it up a gear when he wanted to, certainly wasn't seen at his best for Sussex uh, unless he had a point to prove so whenever he was dropped by England or disciplined by England and that seemed to happen a lot he would woe betide you if you were a county player because he would come back in with a point to prove and he would turn it up a gear um, he was one of the old style uh, fielders you know with the, the England right England have a wicketkeeper like that at the moment um, and a wicketkeeper batsman like that at the moment don't they yeah. um, a few failures getting him riled yeah um, but um, John Snow uh, wonderful rhythmic action uh, was able to you know swing the ball cut the ball at speed um, you know so many incidents spring to mind he was very much a cricket rebel one of the first cricketers to grow his hair uh, in yeah. the, <laughs> he was rock and, and roll uh, wasn't he he was rock and roll also a poet uh, just an interesting figure he was. and um, had his issues with, with authority hence the title of his book Cricket Rebel one of the first cricketers to sign for Packers World Series uh, cricket as well um, but above all else, a wonderful spearhead to a bowling attack capable of getting the ball to rear off a length in, and a uh, very dangerous bowler uh, the ball seemed to follow you around uh, leading Sounds up to familiar. his opening partner and opening the bowling at the other end with him, or well, it has to be Jofra Archer. Uh, I noticed Lawrence Booth of uh, the cricketer has put um, Jofra Archer immediately into his all-time top mm. uh, fast bowler. List. Top of the list, straight top in at number one. Straight in at number one. And now this Jofra Archer's success at Test match level won't come as a surprise to Sussex supporters. People who follow Sussex cricket will know that Justin Langer's little jibe before this last Test match, or we haven't seen him play any Red Bull cricket. He had two full seasons playing for Sussex in Division 2 of the County Championship. Regularly uh, was, a, was a, uh, 50 or 60 wickets a season. Regularly led the attack. Um, fantastic figures at first class level, so no surprise. And like Jon Snow, had the ability to turn it up a notch. We saw that spectacularly at Lords last week in one of the most amazing debuts for um, uh, Ashes debut uh, probably seen for a long long time uh, that the way the crowd got behind him and the way that he uh, edged up the speed up to what 94 95 miles per hour uh, that ability with snow uh, shares that ability to turn it up a notch uh, with that vicious uh, rising ball that follows the batsman around so that is an attack which I challenge anyone to uh, to you know to, to, to they, they would be quaking in their boots uh, even Hayden and Langer wouldn't want to face that, let alone the current 
uh, opening batsman and out of form David Warner and Cameron Bancroft <laughs> against Archer and Snow. Do me uh, a lemon. I think we, yeah, do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, the, I think the word attack is used advisedly there. That is a frightening opening partnership. I love the idea of the new boy and uh, well, currently the new boy and the and the and the and the ultimate rebel. I mean, John Snow, son of a vicar, wasn't he? He was famously. Yeah. Um, wasn't it the seventy seventy one tour with Raymond Dillingworth? He uh, mm. took wickets, Aussie wickets for fun, and brought back the Ashes. Uh, yes. Got in trouble for barging Sunil Gavaskar. He's well, that was yeah, that was bowling uh, bounces at Tom Graveney in the nets that got him dropped. Any <laughs> number of naughty things he did. Yeah, and uh, pelted with uh, beer cans um, yeah. at the, by the crowd at, Sid- at the Sydney at yeah. CG. Yeah, it was like hold me back, wasn't it? Hold Ray me back. And very sadly, you know, he, he had I think 19 games against the rest of the world, which which were yeah. subsequently taken away from him well, and not counted yeah, as uh, test uh, caps, uh, which I, I think is tough. Yeah, I think that's oh. tough on all yeah. the players concerned. If anyone uh, remembers the series, England versus rest of the world it was top quality stuff and really those records should stand but his test match record 49 tests 202 wickets don't tell uh, the whole story um, six uh, five uh, five wickets in innings uh, best bowling of 740 reserved his best uh, when playing against Australia um, and um, yeah considered difficult to handle but uh, I think Tony Gregg will uh, sort that out so that's the opening attack yeah mm. slip in with the first change you yep. absolutely must yeah um Different era. I'm going back to uh, Morris Tate. Ah. I've gone back into the archives here. 38 wickets he took in one Ashes um, series. Um, and a um, very interesting figure who started off as a batsman, who bowled a bit of off-spin, and then gradually uh, developed his uh, medium-paced bowling, and uh, or fast-medium, I should say. And, uh, well, what a record he has. Wasn't he sort of credited with the discovery of seam bowling or, or, or modern seam bowling? Isn't he seen something as the... As the father yeah, of that? Yeah, the, fa- the father of that. And um, Morris Tate, as a first-change bowler, um, you couldn't go much better than that. 38 wickets, to say, in his uh, opening season. Uh, he had three successive seasons where he took uh, over 200 wickets uh, in first-class cricket. Yeah, um, nine times in 13 summers he finished top of the averages. Uh, uh, he is uh, three successive seasons, as I say, 200 wickets. Started off with off-spin, but uh, a wonderful bowler and one that a lot of people still talk about now. Now, that's enough seam bowling. No, I've got a fourth player. He's my wild card. <laughs> Go for it. He's the next cowboy for the rank. He's a wild card because he's yet to play a test match. He's oh. just got into the England A setup. He's just turned over Middlesex with 14 wickets. He is, in Jason Gillespie's words, a test match bowler. I am convinced that we'll see Ollie Robinson bowling for England in the next year. He, he is the next cab off the rank. He Every ball, top of off stump, moves it both ways. Uh, 14 wickets in the match against Middlesex. 54 wickets in the county championship this year at an average of just 15. Uh, I think this Ollie, uh, I think Ollie Robinson, anyone that's seen him uh, play, will tell you that this is a test match quality bowler uh, who uh, will be playing for England in the very near future. Straight into the, uh, I think against this current Australian attack, he would enjoy, uh, t- sorry, Australian batting lineup. he would enjoy bowling to them. Well, mm. Whoever we have as captain, whether it's uh, Greg or Close, um, they'll make sure that uh, they extract the best of him, I would imagine. Well, what a team that would be if you combine those two. Well, Either of those teams would be I think they should phenomenal. both have a crack. They should both have a crack. Well, I think we could put <laughs> them both out, couldn't I mean, we? Jack White is probably the one that astonishes me the most. The record, those oh, yeah. statistics for Jack White, not a name that Mm. Is that well known? Yeah. Those are s- extraordinary statistics and would walk into to, 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 to this joint, uh, to a combined team. So I'm, a bit, I'm a bit light on, 
Well, right. I'm not going to try and pick the, 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 the absolute best, but I will. Sussex fans, this is for you. This is your ultimate team from David Brook to take on the current Australians. You've got C.B. Fry. You've got John Langridge or David Shepherd in reserve. You've got the captain, Hardenfast, none other than Tony Gregg. You've got Matt Pryor behind the stumps. You've got Lord Ted coming in at first drop. You've got Kumar Ranji Singh and all those uh, runs that he made. You've got Jim Parks Jr. You've got potentially Monty Panasar as your spinner. Uh, you've got John Snow, Joffre Archer and Morris Tate, which would be an awesome, <laughs> an awesome bowling attack. But my goodness me. And uh, you've got Ollie Robinson in the setup, going to be brought in, brought in uh, as your as your wild wild card because uh, he's barely yet uh, played that much for Sussex. But nonetheless, I can see why you've got him in there. And as a man of Middlesex, um, he certainly was frightening me for the last four days. Uh, but for Somerset, my goodness me, at uh, the top of the order, Marcus Trescothic. Not a surprise, but boy, does he deserve to be in there. Harold Gimlet. Uh, very tough to call the openers uh, from, the, from the four that we've discussed. Your captain... And indeed, the mentor of, of, of the Sussex captain, none other yep. than Brian Close, a man of granite. Um, you've got Stephen Davis behind the stumps, even ahead of the, one of the men you had there is in, in the batting, Joss Butler. You've got first drop, uh, the rock, mm. the man who invented Brigadier Brock, Block <laughs> before Brigadier Block did. You've got Chris Taveray, your all-rounder, my goodness me. Well, it had to be IT. Both them. Uh, your bowling attack, you've got Jack White and all those wickets. Arthur Wellard, Andy Caddick and Fred Rumsey. Both of those teams would be phenomenal. So, Sussex or Somerset fans, if you have points of view, if you have your own ideas, then just drop us a line. We would love to hear from you. How can you uh, get this podcast? Well... Uh, you can uh, become a patron. You'll get it then before anyone else. You go to patreon.com uh, uh, forward slash Gorilla Cricket and uh, you can uh, sign up. You also get access to our archive. You get all of our jingles. You get all kinds of exciting things. Other than that, of course, it is your usual podcast provider uh, and uh, we will later in this series be putting a microscope to other counties. If you particularly want yours covered, then do let us know. But for now, I am confident... We have just discussed the cream of Sussex, the cream of Somerset, and they would be unbeatable. Do you, do you want to know a few that I considered but didn't put in in the end? One, one who could actually be a wild card, because I don't really have a wild card in there, IVA Richards. Um, if he played for <laughs> Somerset as long as, um, as long as that now, then he might become naturalised uh, English, and so we could have him. In which case, I'm afraid Joss would have to jog on. <laughs> uh, Good try, but I think that's that's stretching wild card beyond um, the, the the realms. Darn it! <laughs> what about a man who's had a bus named after him in Sussex? Mushtaq Army. Can I get him in as a wild card yeah, on the same can. basis? You can. This may be over oh, time. Hang on now, a minute, but what we'll the, see. The, the rules. Just one rule for well, you and one rule. Well, because Viv was still playing international cricket during Somerset. Mushy people thought that his career was over when he was signed up by Sussex. He was playing league cricket and then came back, uh, came into that lineup and really delivered was a key part of delivering those championship successes and is a local hero. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think no 
list of all-time greats would be complete without mentioning his contribution. Of course, if we're talking about overseas players' contribution, then uh, we have to slip in Imran Khan, Garth LaRue, and these sort of people who uh, are legend, legends in, in that lineup. Again, you're, you're, you're adapting the exception. wild card rule based uh, on Grubby's already extracted. <laughs> It's to breaking point. All right, all right. Let <laughs> me just Grubby's got a point. You know, th in this day and age, the amount of competition there is, there would be a tweak in the ECB regulations to ensure that all these people were eligible. Let, let, let me wind it back a notch then and, and make a, a play for Jimmy Cook, who obviously was South African, but in the era of apartheid when South Africa weren't playing, he did play three test matches, I think, later in his career. But his first-class record is phenomenal. 21,000 and odd runs at an average of 50 and a half. Um, and also um, over 7,500 runs in three glorious summers for Somerset, including 28 centuries in that time. Wow. Um, so Jimmy Cook could find a place at the top of the order. And one man who's a bit unlucky not to get in my 11 is, uh, is Richard Johnson, um, another man who has a first-class tenfer when he was a Middlesex player. I was about against, to say, normally a Middlesex as well, of course. So uh, he's, he's a little bit unlucky not to get in, but uh, I'm afraid he was just edged out by Fred Rumsey. Well, I am going to have to stop you there. Yeah. Um, we will, of course, be covering every ball of every test. And um, you can uh, get this podcast, as we said, uh, by becoming a patron or by your normal podcast provider. Most important, to become part of the discussion. We want to hear from you. I would like to thank uh, two men who have made the most persuasive of cases, but they had some terrific material to work with. Paul Grubby Howarth. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank pleasure. You, Grubby, pleasure. Pleasure. And uh, David Brook, the man of Sussex. Thank you, David. Thanks, Phenomenal. And thank you for listening. We will see you for the next episode of Gorilla Shear. From Gloucestershire to Leicestershire Up into the stratosphere Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.